On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we talked to Councillor Sam Marula about transit fees, area rating, all that sexy kind of stuff that really isn't, but that is going to be creating a big, possibly angry discussion around the council table. Should everyone around this city pay the exact same amount for transit on their taxes, or should people who are in areas where there is far less service get a break. We'll talk about that. Also, James Bond. Who is going to be the next James Bond? Daniel Craig says the movie that's about to start filming is going to be his last one. Who should be up next? And finally, this weekend is huge for McMaster Sports. The men's volleyball team going for their seventh consecutive provincial championship. The women's basketball team, second seed in Canada, going for their first ever national title. We talked to the two coaches, Dave Preston and Teresa Burns. All coming up right now. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show. That's what we need. Right there. A magic bus. Solve all of our problems. Because how much of our discussion in this city over the last number of years really has been about transportation, transit in one way or another? The Red Hill Creek situation going on right now, the expressway there, the LRT, other things, I mean, building the link, building the Red Hill. Over the last, I don't know, decade, decade and a half, two decades, five decades, seems to be a, a dry, pardon, I was going to say a driving force. Didn't even mean to come up with a bad pun. Unintentional bad pun, but a magic bus would solve all of our problems, except I don't think they exist yet, except in the magic school bus. Great show for kids. Totally different topic. Uh, had Lloyd Ferguson on the show here a couple nights ago, uh, as did Bill Kelly had Lloyd on, uh, Ward 12 counselor, and he was, uh, talking about Lloyd now, or Lloyd Ferguson, not Bill Kelly, uh, he was very upset about a renewed debate around area rating and transit. Now, if you don't know what this is, essentially, and most of you will, but essentially people in different parts of the city, in different wards, pay different amounts on their tax bill for public transit. Some now want to see that equalized, or at least talk about whether that should be equalized. Ferguson has said, this is going to be outrageous if this happens, because those in the suburbs don't have nearly the same amount of public transit access and service as those downtown. So why would they be paying the same amount? However, not all share that view. Not all believe that it should remain, I believe, different. One of those who has come out in favor, or at least in favor of having the discussion, is Ward 4 Councillor Sam Marula. Uh, now, in the interest of hearing both sides, because again, Lloyd Ferguson was on, I wanted to have Sam Marula on to talk about this. He joins me now. Sam, thanks for doing this today. My pleasure, Scott. Uh, why, why is this coming up now? What was, what's been the impetus to bring this discussion up at this particular point? Well, actually, it's been ongoing since, since amalgamation, so 2001. And area rating wasn't only specifically related to public transit. We had, for instance, we had uh, wrecks and parks uh, and firefighting uh, area rated at one time. But as the agricultural lands became urban lands within the suburban centers of our city, um, you you now obtain demand for certain services. So you get what you pay for. And as as you can see throughout the suburban area, we've had thousands of people move there and build developments. And when you build those developments, with those developments come demands. And and. Public transit is one of them. So I understand that uh, that it will go that 
the cost will go up per house. So there's, there's an actual tax shift. So what occurs is it goes up in the suburban area only in the urban areas. So it doesn't doesn't go up in the farm areas. It only goes up into those suburban areas that have density in urban centers. So they now would, would pay towards public transit, but in exchange for that, will now receive public transit. So it's, it's what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? The, you have the demand for public transit right now, but they're not area rated. The area rating exists, hence they're not going to get it. And if they do, they do it in, in a piecemeal fashion. My objective and my goal has been for a number of years, as we did with the area rating surrounding parks and wrapped in fire, is when you have that shift, and rather than decreasing taxes in the old city of Hamilton, what we did is we established an, an infrastructure reserve. So per ward, we've allocated equally that infrastructure um, uh, that infrastructure reserve, and we've been able to do some marvelous projects, such as uh, being able to incorporate the city motor uh, site and now redeveloping it into a seniors senior center, as one example, and also expediting roads, sewers, and sidewalks. So there is, I think, um, a solution to all of this, and what I presented as a motion, because it was my motion that led to this discussion, is that we look at a way where there isn't a winner and loser per se, that if taxes go up in the suburban area, those urban areas that are urban, not agricultural, then rather than increase decreasing taxes in the older part of the city, we create a similar reserve that's dedicated in a manner conducive to increasing public transit service in those suburban areas. So even uh, Councillor Ferguson um, perked up to that idea. We just need to know if legislatively we can pursue it, and that's what staff are doing presently. And I'm sure if we're creative, we can find uh, a solution accordingly. And uh, I think it's a win-win for both those urban centers in the suburban area and that of the old city council. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting with Councillor Sam Marula about area rating for transit. Again, not exactly the sexiest topic on its face, but certainly one when you break down what it means and what it is. Something that gets some people fired up on both sides of the aisle. And what it means is in this city right now, in different wards pay different amount for transit. And there is a proposal that everyone, regardless of service, regardless no, of where you live. Wards, Scott, sorry to interrupt. Not different wards, but different. So there's an urban and they, there's an urban and suburban rate. Right? Okay. All right. So one of the things, uh, thank you for clarifying. One of the things Councillor Ferguson said when he was on here was that um, he has no objection, of course, to the area rating being leveled off or being taken away when it comes to things like schools, where everybody across the city, whether you're urban or suburban, have pretty much equal access to schools and and recreation facilities and fire protection now and things like that. But he says when you are looking at the service levels in the urban area versus the suburban area, the transit offerings simply don't match up. And why should people who are not getting or don't even have options to get the same level of service pay the same? Okay, just for a point of clarity, um, schools would not, not, not a city jurisdiction. No, and, uh, understandable, understandable. Okay. But just in general, okay. some of those bigger things, people can get them no matter yeah. where you're uh, living. Just either. for clarity purposes, yep. in case because yep. people do confuse us sometimes with respect to MPs, MPPs, trustees. Fair enough. That's why I like to make those uh, points of clarity. So parks and rack or community rec centers were area rated at one time. That's my point. So, and we changed that because as 
as in the suburban areas, these urban centers developed, all those developments with tens of thousands of people moving into those areas, the demand increased. So they, they didn't have an option to build those community centers unless they paid for them. And then they realized that because they needed so many community centers, that it was going to cost them way too much to do it in isolation. So they needed the old city of Hamilton to help mitigate their demand. The issue is very complex, but... Uh, so if it, they want it, they have to pay for it. Exactly, but they're doing it in a piece... They were doing it in a piecemeal fashion, which is not sustainable, nor is it effective, as the public transit system in the suburban area right now is not effective, not, it's not efficient, it's not sustainable. So neither was the rec centers, right? But if, if the case is that we have to say, if you want it, you have to pay for it. And that, and I think that's a fair comment to say for sure. Question is, do they want it? And I know there was a, I know there was a report that came in front of council that said 95% of HSR usage was down in the lower city. Is that because of availability? 99% of the lines are in the lower city. That's right. Again, it's a skewed number. If you build it, they will come. The bottom line is you have, like, there used to be farmland where now there are surveys. So we have people, adolescents and, and seniors and people that don't have access to vehicles who don't have access to public transit either. So you build these surveys, with that comes a responsibility to provide the amenities that make us a civil society. And one of them is being able to get to and from work, to and from school. Uh, and right now there are parts of the suburban area that don't have access to public transit. Could we could we provide it? Is 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 the uh, that's what is I'm the, trying to do? No, but is the job so huge with some of these suburban areas that it's beyond the capacity within a reasonable amount of money to be able to do this? Or could we make it so that it was consistent across the city? We, we, that's what we're trying to do, and eliminating the area rating makes it consistent throughout the city. We, we can't live in a society where it's a buffet table where you only pay for what you take at the buffet table. You. you as you mentioned, the education, which isn't a city jurisdiction, but yet we all pay into it, even if you have no Correct, kids. correct. But it's an investment, and so is public transit. So is health care. It's the same argument. If you've never been to a doctor, yet you're paying so, uh, you're paying so much in taxes for health care, should you be able to opt out? Of course not. So the bottom line is this. If you build the, a sustainable public transit system, it shouldn't be an opt-in, opt-out scenario. It should be universal. In those, but in all fairness, if you go into agricultural areas, then then it becomes a little ridiculous that those farmers or those individual farms that are four or five kilometers apart from one another be paying into public transit because we're not going to be able to provide the service there. Of course. Now there have been some though, Sam, who have suggested that if if equalization or whatever word we want to use, but if everyone has to pay in the same, so that we have, you know, as you say, it's not a buffet, so everyone is going to pay because we're all one big happy. Happy family, <laughs> happy-ish family. Um, they've said, well, okay, if we're going to get rid of area rating then, what about the original wards, wards one through eight, who have the $1.7 million area rating fund? Should that not then go back into the city? They lose that, so that could go towards helping transit. Why, if equity is going to be across the city, do certain wards have that extra money? Okay, now we're really confusing matters. Okay, that area rating fund was developed based on what I had mentioned earlier, regarding recreation and parks. So that was created because my suburban colleagues did not want to decrease taxes in Hamilton. So they said, we would support anything but the decrease of taxes. So we were created and we created an infrastructure reserve, which which in essence pays for 
sidewalks, roads, and sewers. And that's exactly what we're tr- I'm trying to suggest now, is that rather than decreasing taxes in the old part of the city, we create a reserve to, to increase capacity of our public transit lines, which would incorporate the suburban area. The only question is, staff need to investigate whether or not legislatively that's in order. It is a uh, it is a delicious topic that is going to create all kinds of arguments for the next I don't know how many months. If this people is... actually honestly, Scott, if people actually listen carefully to this issue, it makes perfect sense. And per- I understand, perhaps, I understand but you know this is going to be a contentious issue going forward. Only for those that don't understand it. And again, you, people can play politics with it, but if they look at it in a reasoned, factually based scenario, it makes perfect sense. Councillor Sam Marula, I always appreciate you coming on and doing this. Thanks for the time today. Well, my pleasure. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Best James Bond theme ever, Shirley Bassey, Goldfinger. She just sounds like she should be singing all the James Bond themes. I'm sorry, when Duran Duran got into the mix, kind of fell apart a little bit. But anyway, back on track. Uh, there have been reports for long, for a long time now that Daniel Craig has one James Bond movie left in him. Originally, he wasn't going to do any more. He said that was it, he was done, and then he... Kind of turned around and said, okay, I got one more. Well, I'll do one more. And that film apparently is beginning production soon. Uh, apparently, and all this stuff, my next guest can clarify for me if I say anything wrong, but apparently it's under the working title of Shatterhand. And there are rumors that Remy Malik, who just finished winning an Oscar for playing Freddie Mercury, will be the villain. And it's supposed to, I read, start shooting in April. The question is, who comes next? Because Daniel Craig, if he is out... Who is the next James Bond? And this got all got me thinking about this today because there's a story in the Irish Post saying one of the favorites to be the next James Bond is Killian Murphy. Some of you may know him from paying, from playing Peaky Blinders, which is on Netflix right now. But let me bring in Jeff Weibo, who is the associate editor of JamesBondCanada.com. Uh, Jeff, thanks for doing this today. Hey, thanks, Scott. I am not sure there is any role in the movies anywhere that gets more scrutiny even before a film, a frame of film is shot than James Bond does. Yeah, it's uh, it's not fair to the actor, right? Everybody else gets to just do movies, but the James Bond movies, they love to pick it apart and do all these, like you said today, the Irish uh, post there, post this thing about this Killian Murphy. Seems a little... Uh, little homer there by the <laughs> <laughs> just a, just a touch yeah but but it is you're right it may be a little bit unfair because people in a lot of cases it seems have decided even before they've seen the movie whether this person is a good james bond or not oh sure because daniel craig everybody there was a craig not bond.com that came out after people heard that it wasn't going to be brosnan in, in 2005 and they were they were calling uh, petitions to they don't go to the movie and then everybody saw the trailer of Casino Royale and we're like whoa this is actually really good and then when the movie came out everybody's like man that was amazing and then uh kind of you can't really judge the book before you watch the movie kind of thing the, so uh who's it gonna be right now the production companies probably doesn't care right now they're trying to get this movie into production they don't 
they're not even going to listen to all these tabloids that sell their newspapers and make these sites, make all the ad revenue. Um, well, before we get into some of the names that have come up, because I want to go through a few of them and get your thoughts on them, but the, there, one of the things that when you mentioned Daniel Craig, one of the things that seems with Bond, because he's such a well understood, well-known character. This will be the 25th movie, I believe, that will be in the Bond, and then Casino Royale would be on top of that. But uh, you, if you're going to take on this role, it seems you can't. You have to do something different. You, you can't try to be Sean Connery or try to be Roger Moore or try to be whoever else. It has to be you doing something unique. Right. Like, all these actors that have taken on the role, they didn't grow up, go to acting school when they're teenagers and do all these plays to be like, I can't wait to be James Bond. <laughs> they, they were just trying to become movie stars that, you know, that it changed Daniel Craig's life. Now he can't go anywhere. He can't go have a pint of Guinness anymore at the pub because everybody's like, it's James Bond. I want my, your autograph. So it's a big decision when they take on the role. So whoever it, it will be next really has to think about it. And then you're right. He has to bring something new. He can't just be, be Sean Connery or the audience will just judge him for that. Mm. And, and you know, the Daniel Craig thing, the, the thing that always comes to mind for me with Daniel Craig, more than any of the movies that he's done as Bond, was the opening of the London Olympics when he was in that little skit with the Queen, parachuting into Olympic Stadium. And the minute he was on the screen, I don't know that a single person in that arena or watching at home said, hey, it's Daniel Craig. They all saw him and, oh, it's James Bond. I mean, it's yeah. instantly identifiable now as that one particular role. Absolutely. And for us in Canada, like, we don't really have that film. Like, people grow up watching the James Bond movies in as much as we might watch the Toronto Maple Leafs or whatever in, in Canada, right? They will pick it apart. They, they, it's their baby. So that's why it was in the Olympics opening. Like, they are obsessed with it. They, people have grown up watching it with their fathers. And they can't wait. They go to the theaters for the Bond movies. It's like what they do. But I think, actually, you know what? I think that's a great example you just gave. Uh, because think of someone, I mean, who would be the... Daryl Sittler, for example, who played for the Philadelphia Flyers as well. And he played for another team. I can't remember now. But uh, when you think of him, he is... Daryl Sittler is a Maple Leaf, no matter what. And Wayne Gretzky, he played for the Blues and he played for the Kings. I and mean, people may think of him with the Kings, but most people around here... He is an Edmonton Oiler, and you you do you do get typecast in this in this role in particular. Yeah, well, Wayne Gretzky is hockey, I think, but yeah. Well, okay, um, so what would make a good James Bond then? What would be some of the things so, you have to have to be a good James Bond? What the producers have said before is they would like it's they've gone back on this a few times when they had an American hired in the seventies, but really they want a Commonwealth actor to be so any Canadians listening out there you, there's still hope you can uh, <laughs> become Bond all right I'm hanging in had, there we've had an Australian Irish English twice Scottish and yeah I think I'm got them all there so so um, we need a Canadian and if you can get exactly. a Canadian who's bald I've still got a shot at it yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe you can play the villain. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, yeah. Blofeld. Okay, so, oh, that's such a, a boost for the evening. Um, so, okay, so it's got to be someone from the Commonwealth. Presumably, it's got to be someone who's good-looking. They don't want someone who's a homely-looking James Bond, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- what else? What else would be on the list that you must have to be qualifying as well, Bond? The old uh, adage was that every man wants to be him and every woman wants to be with him is what, I don't know if they're allowed to talk about that anymore, but that's what they had said in the past. Um, That's what they would look for. Also, I don't think they want the Bond to be like Batman, per se, because they're like, am I want, can I just go watch Batman? 
Batman or is he James Bond? They want the actor to uh, not be a superstar in another film series, right? They want kind of like an un, like Brosnan did his thing and it became Bond, but he wasn't playing Bruce Wayne or something like that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting with Jeff Weibel, who's the associate editor of James Bond Canada. Dot com because there's talk this is going to be Daniel Craig's last James Bond movie. They're starting to film it shortly. And there's lots of talk, especially over in Europe, where this is a big, 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 big deal about who should take over. Who is the next James Bond? And Jeff, let me go through a few of the longest of long shots first, because there have been suggestions in some corners, because it is 2019, that maybe it's time for a female James Bond. Jane Bond, maybe, I don't know what. Could that work? Um... I think not as calling the female James Bond, obviously. I think a female spy can work in the Bond world where she could be a, a 006 or 008 and alongside Bond. But, like, we have to go back to the original books of who James Bond is, is a, a male naval commander in the British Navy who joins the Secret Service. So um, I don't see that, but like there's great female spy movies like Salt with Angelina Jolie that work amazing, where I think if, if you just called her Bond, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be as good. I like that those are standalone, so I, I would have to vote no on that, and I don't think you'll ever see it in this with these people, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson being the producers right now. Maybe uh, if D- Disney gets a hold of it. Well, yeah, Gillian uh, Anderson, of course, from X-Files, and Margot right. Robbie. Uh, who was just in I, Tonya, and she was in, what was the one with Leo DiCaprio, The Wolf of Wall Street, and a bunch of others. Oh, yeah. She's been mentioned. All right, uh, more, maybe even more controversial than that. What about the idea of a black James Bond? Did, did you see the uh, Instagram photo of Ildris Elba? With, that's the, uh, that's the, yeah, that is the leading name that people keep talking. Now, he's the guy who's in Luther. He's been in a bunch of other mm-hmm. things. A very handsome, very good-looking guy, uh, would probably, is a terrific actor. I guess I go back, normally you would say, well, of course, why couldn't a black person be doing any character? I, I, I go back to the question I asked before, which was, this is now, we have a vision in our mind of kind of what James Bond is, and I'm wondering 24, 25 movies in, if if that works, or if that's just a stretch at this point. Yeah, like, well, they did that funny Instagram photo to tease the audience, they both took a selfie to make people guess and all that, but... Really, like, you wouldn't have Denzel Washington play JFK, pretty much. He would go on to do something different. We would have someone else play JFK because we know JFK is a white male. So it's kind of one of those scenarios where we would never overly have a black male play James Bond because that's just not who James Bond is. It's He's a white British man. So um, now, do I think Ildris Elba is a good actor? Absolutely. Maybe we can see him in the Bond movies. And again, maybe he could be up against James Bond. But to have him play Bond, I don't see it coming anytime soon, unfortunately, for any of the audience that wanted to see him in the Bond movies. But oh, Okay, two of the leading contestants right now, and I'm going to have to take a second to for some of these people uh, to explain, Richard Madden and Tom Hiddleston. Uh, Richard Madden was Rob Stark in Game of Thrones, and he is playing Elton John in an upcoming biopic about the singer. Uh, Hiddleston was Loki in the Marvel movies. Uh, This, though, the fact that I probably had to say that, and there's still some people who don't know who they are, is that a plus or a minus when it comes to filling the role of James Bond that they aren't really well-known necessarily, at least not by name? I I think it would be a a plus for them. 
because um, but their lives will change if they became James Bond. Uh, nobody they couldn't go out without being recognized pretty much. But uh, again, we're, we're never really going to know who the producers are going to choose. They, they might have their eye on people right now, but we're, we're going to be starting filming shortly. A whole year has to go by for that. And then I bet you they take two or three years off. There could be somebody that's not even on this list right now that right. they're going to look at. So we don't know. It's just a fun game to speculate. Tom Hiddleston was really uh, lots in the news about two years ago, and now we don't hear that much about him anymore. So One favorite uh, that I would have that I found on the list that I saw that was listed, uh, Damian Lewis, who was the oh, yes. uh, commander in, he was the lieutenant in Band of Brothers, and he's in yeah. Homeland. Uh, br- excellent British actor who many people don't even know is British because he mm-hmm. always does the American accent. Uh, he'd be great. Yeah, he would be great. Uh, you know, we have a blonde bond, so maybe we have a redhead bond, but maybe they'd <laughs> They dye his hair or something like that. At, at the beginning, you had mentioned uh, the next Bond title, and you said the working title of Shatterhand. Yes. That? Yes. So just recently, the producer, uh, a fan had a poster that said Shatterhand that they made and, got, and saw the producer in New York City like two, yesterday, I think it was. And the producer autographed the, the poster and wrote at the top, not Shatterhand and signed it. <laughs> All right. So well, there you go. Uh, breaking news that it's uh, not Shatterhand. Orlando uh, Bloom is on the list of names that I saw. Uh, now, uh, this is another thing about this. Is it possible for someone to be too pretty to be James Bond? Do you now need to be a little? I don't want to say, I don't know what the word is, crustier? That's that's a horrible sounding word. But I mean, Orlando Bloom is a really beautiful, beautiful person physically, you know. Is are, Can you be too good looking to play the role? Um, the it's a weird question, has, I know. <laughs> no, it's fine. The series has, has arcs pretty much going through it when it's a hard spy movie and then it's like, then they're out in outer space and then it's back to being a hard spy movie and then he's wearing a clown costume for some reason. And... It, it, there's been rougher looking bonds and pretty bonds, like arguably like Brosnan's a pretty bond and That's Roger true. Moore could be a pretty bond. So like it's possible Orlando Bloom can be, I think he might have to put on a bit more muscle. Well, we only have a couple seconds left, but the craziest name that I saw on this whole list was Harry Styles. <laughs> Can't overly comment. <laughs> Although he could have the most unbelievable bond hairdo ever. You could got to give him that. He would, he would have oh, that going yeah. for him. Yeah, Bond needs a good flow, I think. So, there you go. <laughs> uh, Jeff Weibo is the associate editor of jamesbondcanada.com. Go check out the website. It's very simple, jamesbondcanada.com. Lots of stuff there. Jeff, always appreciate having you on. Thanks for doing this today. Much appreciate it, Scott. Thanks. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This uh, Thursday in Toronto at what used to be Maple Leaf Gardens. It's now the Mattamy Athletic Center, which is run by Ryerson, although it's still still should be called Maple Leaf Gardens. It really should. Anyway, uh, the McMaster women's basketball team will be in the national championships vying for their first ever national Canadian national championship. They're going in as a, as the second seed. They just knocked off the top team in Canada in the Ontario playoffs, the Ontario championships to win the provincials in the weekend. Meanwhile, also this weekend, McMaster's men's volleyball team is heading out to Kingston, to Queen's University, seeking its seventh consecutive, seventh consecutive provincial title. Th- with me, 
Teresa Burns, who is the head coach of the women's basketball team. Dave Preston, who is the coach of the men's volleyball team. Uh, folks, thanks for being here today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us on, Scott. Uh, Teresa, this is year number 26 for you, and you have had some close calls, and you've won medals at nationals before, and you've won Ontario championships, but this, it's, that one last step has been rather elusive. Do you ever wonder if it's ever going to happen? Does that ever cross your mind when you're sitting in your office or on the court and go, man, is this ever going to happen for us? Uh, yeah, all the time. I mean, it's, it's the elusive goal, as you said, and it's the gold at the end of the rainbow, and we've been chasing it, as all teams do, and... Um, you know, we're, we're hoping this year might be the year we'll see, but, um, yeah, for sure. It's definitely a goal for all of us. What keeps you chasing it? Cause it has, I mean, it has been 26 years now and, and at times I'm guessing it has to get frustrating at moments. What, what does keep you going after it and not giving up? I love the game. I love the athletes and our athletes love the game and they love to play and they love to compete. And as long as you love to compete, um, you want to be out there and have that opportunity. So, um, as long as the passion for the game is still there, we're going to keep chasing it uh, for as long as we can. Dave, you are in the same position. You've been doing this a long time. You've had an, a lot of success, but that national championship has just never been able to be grabbed. Same question for you. What keeps you going after it and not giving up out of frustration? My wife. <laughs> <laughs> just not allowed to be home all that much? I'm, I can't come home until I get one. Um <laughs> No, I, you know, it, Coach Burns hit it right on the head, and, it, you know, I, I'm just kind of following in her footsteps on this one, but uh, the best part of university sport is it's cyclical, so it's not like we've been chasing this for 25 years, 26 years with the same group. Every year it's someone new who has these dreams and these aspirations, and our job as coaches is just try and help them pursue that and find ways to to succeed and uh, I think that's what kind of keeps me going at this level It's an interesting point you just make because if it was the same group, first of all they would all be 60 years old now, that might be a bit of a <laughs> challenge but if it was mostly the same group over and over, that would become incredibly frustrating You, you do have new players all the time and, and I believe that's part of the beauty of uh, the cyclical nature of university sport Right? There, it's rarely do you get a chance to go at it twice with even close to the same group so Every every season is something new. Every season presents its own challenges. Every group presents its own strengths and weaknesses, and uh, and and the joy in is trying to find the solutions and all that. Do you have? Do you, have you? You? Sh- I'm sure you've thought through the day that you finally do win one. Both of you, uh, Dave. I'll go to you first, and then Teresa. When that happens, do you walk out of the gym and say, "You know what? I did it. I'm gone. I'm on to new challenges." Or does that just make you want to win another one? Yeah, just I'll be floating out of the gym. I won't be walking, but um, yeah, I'll uh, yeah. Th- that's exactly what it'll be. Okay, I got one now. How do I get two? Um, and and again with a new group. So uh, what what will it be like with the next group? And uh, I think as a coach, you're you're always trying to find things that you can improve upon. Right? There's you, perfect is unattainable, uh, but excellence is. And so I think there's always mm. something that uh, we're looking for and. The next challenge will be the next day. Is that the same with you, Teresa? Would you would you win one when it happens, and then say I got to win another one? Um, probably, yeah. I think um, I agree with Dave. You just it's just such a joy to to work with a different group each year, and each team has a different personality and a different style, and and as Dave said, different strengths, different weaknesses, and that's what keeps it fresh. That's what keeps it exciting. Um, there's different joy that you find each year, so. 
Um, if, if that happens, if we're able to win a national championship this weekend or someday, um, it will be fantastic and we'd enjoy it. And I know a couple of days later, I'd be trying to move on and figure out a way to do it again. You are going into this championship though, this weekend as the second seed. And you just knocked off, as I said a moment ago, the number one seed in the country, which was Ottawa. Does that, does that put extra pressure on the women on your team that they know they're good, that they know that they actually legitimately have an opportunity if they play their best this weekend and say, you know, if, if, if we got to go in here and we got to do it because we know we can. Uh, to be honest, our, I've never seen our team be as loose and relaxed as I've seen them over the last week or so. Um, they feel confident. They're happy. They're enjoying this whole experience. They're enjoying every bit of every day of, of the journey of getting here, and, and we all are together. So, um, it, I mean, it might not sound realistic, but we really aren't feeling a ton of pressure right now. We're just really enjoying this journey. What about for you personally? And, and not everybody knows your story. Um, it is public, though. I'm not sharing anything out of school here. You have had some health battles. You fought cancer twice, and you're thankfully healthy now and back doing this. But does that give you context or perspective or something else in this? Well, I mean, it gives you perspective in life, period. Um, you know, where things fit, what's important, what's not. Um, what's important in this is 13 or 14 or 15 young student-athletes who are on your team who are trying to get a life experience out of this, and that's why we're here every day. And, and so whatever happens this weekend, we're going to learn and we're going to grow and we're going to do it together and this team this year is, is special. They all are, but this team is really, really special, and it's been a joy to be with them every day. So um, we're just trying to soak it all up and enjoy the experience as we go along. Dave, if Teresa's team uh, has a target on them because they're the number two seed in what they just did, you guys have won six straight provincial championships, and I would have to believe that for any team in Ontario to beat you guys in the playoffs would be for them almost like their national championship uh, that has to be pressure on your kids. Not at all. Really? Um, it, in my opinion, Scott, pressure occurs when the expectations outside of your team room surpass those with inside. And, uh, and I think that there's nobody who wants to win more than our guys. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I, I really don't think, like I know it sounds a little bit cliche, um, but there's a difference between pressure and excitement. And uh, I think our guys are going to feel excited. And I think our guys are going to feel adrenaline. And there's no doubt in my mind that they'll be amped up and they'll feel a whole bunch of emotions. Uh, But none of these guys are going to get kicked out of school if they don't win. None of these guys are going to lose their jobs. They're not professionals. And and this is something that we try and ingrain in our student-athletes all the time in our program is that there's a difference between have to and want to. We don't have to do any of this. These guys want to, and sometimes when you want it that bad, it feels like you have to do it. But the truth of the matter is, they just want it real bad. And 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 as Coach Burns mentioned, you know, we were talking about this earlier in the week. When you can see the 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 young student athletes who really are enjoying the the desire, the 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 enjoying the grind. It's a pretty special feeling as a coach to say, hey, you know what? I think they're getting this. And uh, some, some never do. Some, some never do. You, you can talk to them and you put them in scenarios and, and they don't get it. But when, when you do get a group who does, it's a pretty special feeling. And I know that Coach Burns feels that and uh, I, I feel similar with our guys. 
Teresa, I'll go back to you for a second here, and both of you can answer this question, but you have both had amazing teams over the years and, and amazing players. Why, even in Canada, and when I say even, I'm not, I know it's going to sound like I'm belittling you sports. That's not what I'm doing at all. But why is it so hard to actually get to that last step and win that final national champ to win that national championship? Why is it such a huge obstacle to get to that last step? Well, I think it's like any sport, every variable has to just come together at the right time. Um, You know, your recruiting cycles have to match up. You've got to stay injury-free. You've got to peak at the right time. You have to have the right positions filled and the right skill set in every position. And and every team in the country is doing the same thing. Um, You know, why is it hard to win a Stanley Cup or to win an NBA championship? It's When you get to those last few games, you're playing the best of the best and there is no perfect game, but that's what you're striving for, and you almost have to be perfect. So um, trying to make all that stuff line up is really tough. And when you're dealing with a student-athlete group, I mean, if someone gets injured, we can't go out and buy a new point guard tomorrow because <laughs> somebody gets injured, right? You just, you've just you got to muck your way through it. And, and you've had um, that. Not the you, buying part, the injured part. <laughs> the inj- yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, or somebody, I mean, these are student-athletes. They have lives. They have they have school that's happening and families and friends. And they've got stuff going on in their world outside of this that influences them and their ability to perform. So there's a lot of variables to try to manage, and um, it, it's tough. And the coaches that have, have achieved that, you know, my hat's off to them because it is tough to do. It, well, you've also, one of the things you've done very, very well is that there have been very few down years for you guys. I mean, it's, it's got to be difficult to be at or near the top almost all the time. I think that's a culture piece. You know, it is for us. I I don't want to speak for Dave, but I feel like it's probably the same Um, in in watching his team and how they they conduct themselves every day. I think the culture piece is huge. And when you have that culture piece in place, that is such a huge part of trying to maintain consistency. What about that, Dave? Because one of the things that is uh, honestly remarkable about your team is that I don't know, you would know the number better than I, but uh, you've had in the last handful of years five or six guys graduate and go on to play pro over in Europe and I don't think there's another team in Canada that's done that and when you lose that kind of caliber of player how do you find the guys to replace them to stay at the top well I think you hit it right on the head is uh you have to find the right people and uh the succession planning is a big part of coaching uh coach Burns alluded to it earlier when she said you know your recruiting cycles have to line up and you know, we don't have to bring in 30 or 40 people a year like other programs. We we bring in three or four. So it's really the work on the front end for me to make sure we get the right three or four. And uh, and if you do that, um, you know, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure it was uh, John Wooden who said never fall in love with talent. Um, and uh, and and I, I try and live by that because I try and recruit good character kids. We can teach them how to be better volleyball players, but uh, when you've got great kids, that that te- that teaching part's not that hard. So um, I think that culture is is is, uh, is what sustains your success. Um, you just keep giving them a chance every year and uh, put them in the right positions, and eventually uh, you're going to strike. And I know from a you know not that long ago, it was really really hard to win an OUA championship. Um, and and you know, I worked for years of just trying to break through that mold, uh, and then once we did that, now we're trying to break through the 
the national championship, and then you look at somebody like Coach Smart who's won like ten. Uh, so once you once you figure it out, and once you break through that 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 seal, um, then I think it becomes uh, even easier. I think you could ask the the New England Patriots or somebody else uh, who who win often. Uh, of once you once the people know how to do it, it's easier easier to repeat. Well, just today you had Matt Passalent uh, win OUA Player of the Year. He's a sixth straight OUA Player of the Year for McMaster, and I, I don't believe any of them have repeated. So that's six different guys. Uh, it, it probably helps that volleyball has started to grow in this city as well, to find guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, Hamilton's always been a very basketball, football-rich program. And, uh, and now I think we can honestly say we're starting to add some volleyball players to that group. So I don't think that we're competing for the athletes. I think we're developing more, and that's great for the city and great for the student-athletes in the area. Teresa, you've always, I think, had that um, going for you that Hamilton has had, well, I mean, for the last 20 years anyway, a terrific girls' basketball feeder programs, and, and a lot of girls from this city want to play at McMaster and want to play for you. Yeah, we. I mean, it's been fantastic. The the number of programs, very very good programs with very very good coaching that we have in the area, certainly is helpful for us. Um, the number of athletes who grew up in the city who sit in the stands as young kids and watch the game and dream about being there. And I mean, I've listened to our players over the last few weeks doing interviews. Aaron Burns, Hillary Hanica, etc., and saying exactly that that I was one of those kids at the mass basketball camps, and then I watched the games and I dreamed about being there. So. Um, we certainly have benefited from that. There's always a strong nucleus of Hamilton players on our team, and um, we're we're all that luckier for it. You this weekend, I, I've said it a couple times now that you're going into this tournament as a number two seed. You get Concordia in the first game. Uh, the good news, potentially, if maybe, is that Concordia is a wild card entry and is not considered one of the top teams at the tournament. We won't. Uh, we won't say anything. We don't know. but And that's partially because in Canada, you have a difficult thing when you go to these national championships. There's not a lot of interleague play, so there's not a lot of context. You you can't look at too many teams and say, well, that team played that team, and they beat them, and so we beat that team. And it's very difficult when you go to these things to actually have a context to know what league is actually very good. There's becoming a little bit less of uh, interconference play um, over the last few years, and I don't know whether it's just financial, but um, you're right. So, you know, you have to kind of do your homework in terms of scouting, and, and there is a lot of film out there. We, we can find film on everybody, and so we can watch games, and we can scout each other and get a sense of what other teams are doing. And um, But I think when you get to this tournament and Concordia coming in, they did come in as the wild card, but they earned the wild card. I mean, they don't just hand the wild card to anybody. They gave it to a team who's very, very good and and came really close to to qualifying here on their own out of their championships. So there's no no weak teams at national championships, and we know we'll have our hands full on Thursday, but we're, we're pretty confident and we're getting ready for it. Dave, when you guys go to Queens, uh, for the last number of years, as, as long as I can remember, the deal was that the previous year's champion got to host the provincial championships again. I think you guys hosted a bunch of times. Uh, you now, for the first time ever, they've decided to switch that up and they've moved it to a rotating format. Is this, should we just call this the McMaster rule? Try and get it moved to somewhere else for a change? I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to try and get into this uh, conversation too deep. I do know that, uh, 
the the pre in previous years the format was that the the league champion the top team hosted the final four um and and quite honestly i'm much in favor of a system that rewards winning so if um if uh you if you're the higher seed then i think you deserve the opportunity or you've earned the opportunity to host those so um have they changed this up in other sports that you know of uh, I think they're ro- rotating some stuff between East and West conferences now that they split some of the schedules. Before we used to be all one conference, now it's an East-West, and instead of uh, trying to uh, decipher the the balance of schedule that sometimes doesn't exist, they're they're just rotating between East and West. But um, I just, I'm I'm much more in a favor. Our student athletes invest way too much time, way too much effort to not reward good behavior. And uh, I, I'm just in favor of a, of a system that uh, promotes winning and, uh, and promotes success. So if you've earned the opportunity to host a championship with your league record, I think that should, uh, that should speak for itself. Well, okay, let's speak of winning for a second, Therese. We've got a couple minutes left here. Uh, if you win your first game on Thursday, probably you will face Saskatchewan if all things go according to favorites and everything else. Um, that team, of course, is coached by Lisa Tomitis, who's from Dundas. Everybody knows her coach is the national team. I bu- she went to Mac. I believe she played for you, didn't she, at one time? She played year three, four, and five for me at Mac. That was my first three years at Mac. Is that something that you look forward to that you enjoy coaching against someone who is a friend and someone who you know very well, or do you prefer to have a little distance? I mean, all things can, all things being equal and say, I would rather coach against people I don't have a fondness for, or is it fine? (laughs) Uh, Lisa and I have coached against each other um, quite a number of times now over the years. And, you know, when it happens, it's actually kind of fun. And uh, I have so much respect for her. She's a dear friend and a wonderful colleague and, and in my opinion, the top coach in the country right now. And, um, you know, to look across and see her coaching, I'm I'm always proud of her and rooting for her other than when we're playing her. Um, it would be so much fun to, to have our, our teams match up against each other. And, you know, other than my own team, I'll certainly be rooting for her and her group throughout the rest of this week. All right, uh, Dave, you have seen Teresa a lot uh, coaching. You're around there a lot. You've both been at McMaster a long time. You've both had a huge amount of success. When you see Teresa, what makes her what makes her a good coach? What makes her program work? <laughs> Poor Dave. Well, you're going to get <laughs> the same the question spot. in a second, Teresa, so you've got some time to think about it. <laughs> uh, personally, I think it's the healthy respect that she has for her players. Uh, you, can, you can just tell when somebody's teaching, when somebody's uh, – instructing uh coaching that they she just cares for her student athletes and and it shows in the body language it just shows in in the way you know she advocates for her team with the referees on calls and it shows the way she conducts herself in timeouts um it just shows with the, the level of respect that she has for her players and that she gets back from her players it's uh it, it makes you want to be a better coach what do you say about that, Teresa? About about Dave? About what makes his? Because you've seen his program too, and you've seen him coaching. What makes his go? Well, I mean, I would echo the same things back, and and I can tell you that Dave and I have had numerous conversations. And one of my favorite parts of the day is wandering down the hallway and talking to the other Matt coaches and and talking to Dave. I I always walk out of his office having learned something. He's he's an amazing coach. He knows his. Sport. He's passionate about his sport. He's detail oriented. I don't think any coach works harder at his craft than Dave does. And 
Um, I love watching him coach. Uh, uh, same thing. I love watching his rapport with his athletes. You know, his athletes would die for him on the court if they had to. Um, and that just says a lot about him as a person. So um, I think we're very lucky at Mac that we have the coaching staff that we have and, and that we have that uh, ability to, to learn from each other and, and support each other as colleagues. Uh, Dave, I'll, I have to say that Therese is probably right. You, you've had a libero try and dive headfirst through a door frame for you. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> you lost him for die. a season, but he didn't die, thankfully. He didn't but die. <laughs> I, just, I just want to make sure he's on the record. Uh, touch and go there for a bit, but he didn't die. Um, I know that, uh, again, the women's uh, basketball starts Thursday. They're going to be playing. People can find, they can watch that. It's going to be streamed uh, on the U Sports website, and then the semifinals and finals are on Sportsnet. Dave, you're... Uh, your game, your semifinal is when? Uh, we play at 1 o'clock on Saturday afternoon against Windsor. And that will be streamed online as well. O-U-A, and then, Yeah, OUA.TV. And then if you make it to the, when you make it to, if you make it to the final, we'll say when you make it to the final, when would that be? I believe the final is 3 o'clock on Sunday, same, OUA.TV. Could be a really interesting Sunday if you guys are there and the women are in the finals later that evening. Good luck to both of you. Thanks, Thanks very much, Scott. And good luck, Coach T. You too, Dave. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.